Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. We are experimenting with a new type of content here. It is the first episode in a monthly series that I am tentatively calling, quote, the coaching call, unquote. For context, in April, I will be lining up for the Canyons 100K and Ryan Gelfie, who has uh, been a former guest of the show. He's also the head coach at Trails and Tarmac, and he is going to help me prepare. We have worked together at various points in the past five years, most notably in 2018 and 2019. I've been feeling inspired to take the competitive side of the sport more seriously recently. And so I reached back out to see if he would be interested in helping me with that goal. He agreed and we decided to take it a step further by working in total transparency, which in this case means that our monthly calls will be recorded here on this very podcast and the training log will be viewable 24 seven in the show notes of this episode in future episodes, as well as in the newsletter by all y'all. Here's how these episodes will work. At the end of each month, we will hop on a call to recap and analyze the training from the previous four weeks. It will be like any normal check-in call of ours, except of course, it will be recorded. Nothing will be held back, I promise. You will get total insight into my goals, how the workouts are going, what's working, what isn't, what I'm concerned about, how I'm thinking about the race, stuff like that. There will be four total episodes like this, plus we will do a pre-race and post-race call in mid and late April. Hopefully, you can see yourself in these conversations and apply some of the topics that we cover to your own training. In this first episode, we kick off our coaching relationship that officially starts on January 3rd. We look into how I'm feeling, how we've worked together in the past, how training will be structured this time around strategies to stay focused, how to think about goal setting, stuff like that. We're just using this episode to set the table, to set expectations, to reconvene after a fair bit of time off in our coaching relationship. As I mentioned, I will link uh, the training log in the show notes as well as in our weekly newsletter. So you can dive into all the numbers in the back and forth comments by Ryan and I. And in future episodes, we will also be entertaining audience questions. So Hit me up on social, uh, Instagram, Twitter, email, et cetera, with any topics you would like us to cover. I will also link in the show notes to Ryan Gelfie's social channels, as well as the Trails and Tarmac website in case you want to get in touch. Let me know what you think. Again, this is a new format, but we're really excited about it. Let's get started. I had the editor of Trail Runner Magazine on the podcast a couple weeks back and oh, yeah, so. I asked her like what the most popular content was on their site. And she's like, I wish that it was like some human interest story or whatever, but time and time again, it's like, how do I run a 50K? How do I run a hundred miler? Yeah. Uh, they're obsessed with the X's and O's. Yeah. And I'm sure that doesn't surprise you, but it's just, that's where the, that's the content that resonates. And I wouldn't be surprised if like these episodes that we do hit that same chord. Well, cause they're kind of both. I mean, they're like an N of one, right? Like it's, we're talking about you and your race, but at the same time, it is about the X's and the O's and the ups and the downs and the training. I don't know. It's like both human interest and nerdy training stuff. I haven't seen someone do this before. Have you? I just love experimenting with content. And like I said, this is an experiment and you're a fellow uh, experimenter. Yeah, and I don't know. I just think something cool come a bit and like, yeah, this is selfish in a sense that we're talking about me, but Perfect. hopefully the way we present it, people can see themselves in the discussion and they can take bits and pieces and apply to their own. Mm-hmm. And then of course, like a lot of people are lined up for Canyon. So if yeah. you're a listener and you're racing that race, like this might benefit you. Yeah. And I think we'll hit topics that are like, not that are like 
that apply to everybody. I think if we get into it on this one, you know, topics like thinking about training and it's not necessarily revolutionary and that it can, it's mundane at times, stuff that like will definitely hit home. So yeah, let's get to it. Where do you want to dive in? I saw the questions that you sent over and I made some notes. And so wherever you want to dive in, I'm ready to dive in. All right. I just want to get a little rundown of where you've been at physically, mentally, you know, how your last half a year went. Yeah. So I've been in the sport long enough now where I can point to eras of my career that I felt like I was doing the things necessary to reach potential versus eras where I tried to go at it alone. And Mm -hmm. I found that it was really tough to hold myself accountable to workouts, to long runs, to like sound training. And I would say that the last year and a half, which is a period where we weren't really working together, I tried to put it on myself to stay motivated and to do things. I think a couple of things that I got good at in that time completing long runs on a consistent basis. And I think that's something that happens with a lot of ultra runners. Just over time, you get more comfortable with like time on feet. I did develop that. And then I would also say just consistently on a week to week basis, logging 10, 12, 14 hour weeks. But I would say what has suffered, especially in the last two years is the commitment to once or twice weekly workouts where I'm working on speed And if I look back to like 2018, early 2019, when you and I were working really closely together, that was a period of time where I felt from a performance standpoint, I was ready to go. And I attribute a lot of it to the course you had me on and the workouts you were prescribing me. So I think that for now, it's really hard in general, whether you have a coach or you don't, I mean, hard workouts are hard, right? Even if they're not necessarily all maximal, they're not necessarily all race efforts, but it's just hard to to get out there and do them regularly. I mean, I can personally speak to this for myself as an athlete. And then of course, coaching quite a number of people. Um, it's really hard to stay motivated to keep doing that. And you can't do it 12 months out of the year and keep on track and keep, you know, progressing. There's some cyclicality to it, but I think there's two things that can really help. And sometimes it's a combination of both, but like having a training schedule that either you write or that a coach writes, right? And if a coach writes it, you're more liable to have to do it. <laughs> it's easier to stay on track and have those workouts make sense and progress in a way that makes sense for what you're trying to do and where you're at. And being able to sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes just teaming up with other people, right? Whether it's that you do these whole workouts together, or maybe you have other friends that are doing a similar workout or just doing a workout on the same day. And it's like, all right, we're going to meet at four and we're going to you know, do our warm up together and train on the same hill or whatever. That makes a huge difference. I think on staying on track with that stuff. Don't you? I agree completely. And as you and I have talked about in years past, that has definitely been one of the boons coming here to Salt Lake is there's just been that never ending opportunity to jump in somebody else's workout or to have people join in yours. And yeah, that environment exists here for sure. It's not like I'm somewhere out in the middle of Alaska on yeah. some like oil rig road, trying to figure out how to run in like 80 mile per hour winds alone. And there's only so many people that are like capable of that, or even like Ben True from like the track world. He's known as like this like lone, you know, stallion guy that was like putting in these crazy hard workouts in the yeah. or whatever. And but even him, he's like, I need a training group. I've heard, you know, it's super hard. Yeah. Um, so one of the interesting parts, and you and I have dealt with this, and I deal with this with most people I coach, is like the the dynamic of like writing training for you, which is what I do, right? Like I write training and I'm like, all right, I think this makes sense. Is it perfect? No, I don't believe that there is such a thing. It's like, oh, here's your, this is the perfect trainer. You know, there's variations and different things that can work, but there's training that I write for you. And then how does that mesh with trying to team up with other people, right? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe get, you know, getting them to do your stuff, or maybe it's like, Hey, 
you know, I wrote X worked out for you, but then one of these many people that you run with, maybe they have something similar. And it's like, you guys have to compromise or whatever. You're like, oh, let's do this together because it'll benefit us both, even though it's not exactly what we each have planned or something. Yeah. Well, I'll say, and this goes back to starting the podcast, I found over time, whether this is a sustainable thing or not, I found that I respond really well to public accountability, like just having the single track, for example, and having people expect me to put out an episode every week. That is largely what drives me to do it. In addition to my love for the content and the people. And I think I'm interested to see how this goes from a training standpoint too, because now that uh, I've set these goals, I have this race on the books and you and I are doing this monthly cadence of meetings and we're recording them. I think that it'll be easy to make the right decision the vast majority of the time. Whereas I had a lot of outs that I could create for myself to not do the work. Yeah, I think you're so right about that. I think public accountability goes a long way. I know, I mean, I think it does for most people. And like most of these coaching relationships, right? Like they're not public, right? Like I coach 20 to 30 people most of the time. I don't know, maybe unless they share them with their friends or something, or their friends are doing workouts with them. Like it's not like everybody knows what they're supposed to do. So they're only they know that I'm in a check, but they don't know, like nobody else has to know, but this is different. This is actually a fun experiment because like you're putting yourself out there in a way that most people normally don't. Uh, so we'll have fun when we do the future episodes, we can look back and say, okay, you know, here's what was scheduled and here's where you executed at X level or Y level. And we can get into the whys. And I think it's really interesting for people because everyone deals with this myself. Yeah. Included. Hundred percent. Yeah, but I know you're. So you're you're ready to go though. Like you're excited for canyons specifically, which I know I'm actually running too. Thanks partially to you because you were like, "Hey, you should sign up," and I was like, "Yeah, you're right. I should." <laughs> and, uh, it's exciting. One of, one of my favorite things to do is when I get excited about something, I try to get as many other people equally excited about it as well. So I think it's the, the night I signed up, I was just hammering you with texts like, "This is the moment. This is the race that the entire community is converging on. You better do it." Well, I think you're totally right. I think it is going to be like the biggest American race of the spring for sure. There's no question. It's huge. They have a really, really big participant cap. That was actually what happened. Like they had one cap, but then they like, and I went and checked it and I'm like, oh, there's 400 spots left. Good. I'm not like that pressed for time. I can still think about it for a few days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's going to be unbelievably competitive, I think. And they took the doggone entrance list down. Did you see that? Like they used to have the entrance list up. Now it's gone. I don't really know what that's about because it is exciting to just like, look at who the competition is, et cetera, and to see who's joining last minute, stuff like that. I think it helps them. I mean, who? I don't know what Canyon's goal is. Like, I don't understand. I don't know what their motivations are exactly, like what they want the race to be. Obviously, it's a UTMB series race now or whatever. Right. So like, obviously, it's supposed to be competitive. I would think, I think when you can see entrance list, it snowballs, it feeds on itself. Right. Yeah, it's free advertisement for them. Yeah, so... They must have took it down for some reason that we'll never know probably. But anyways, you're obviously, you're probably as excited about this race as you have been for a race. Yeah, I'm sure since CCC, like this is exciting one. Yeah, I think it's one of the most exciting races in the country. Obviously, it runs along the Western States course. For those that are familiar with the Western States 100, that's held every June. It's a golden ticket race. So there's a lot of fanfare around it. I think it's an interesting race because the course is runnable, but at the same time, there's a fair bit of climbing and descending mixed in. So there's a lot of moments in the race where you're like, I probably should run this, but it's killing me. And it's but net, you know, X, Y, Z. Yeah. It's net 4,000 feet up, which yeah. is significant over this duration, right? Like it's the flip side of Western, which is net 5,000 feet down. And this is of course over hundred K. Uh, I think it's a pretty tough course. I coached Cole Watson and he ran it last year and got fifth, I think. 
And one of our other coaches, David Laney, got fourth. And actually, Brett coached David. So we were having a little bit of a battle, which of course I lost, but uh, <laughs> anyways, yeah. So we got to look at this course pretty in depth last year and, and like, yeah, what have, what have been some of your take, like looking at how Cole approached it, how David approached it, and then mm-hmm. looking at like a summary of what they did after the fact, what are some of your takeaways on how the course runs and how yeah. uh, they trained for it? Yeah. I count so many things in my head that I can't remember exactly what they did, <laughs> but or especially David, cause I don't actually, he's secretive. I don't know what he does. <laughs> He doesn't post stuff, which is probably fine. But I think that it's a really tough course because it's not like a European race where you're probably going to hike a lot of the climbs. Like I'm guaranteed there's some hiking for 98% of the people that run this race. There's like good amount of hiking in the last 25 miles where you, after you get to Forest Hill, for, I just checked this Forest Hills at like mile 34. And then after that, you get into some of the tougher stuff where you get into those canyons, right? Where the namesake, the race is, where like some of the toughest parts on the Western States course are. Well, most people are going to hike sections in there, but if you're going to be in the top five or 10, it, it's mostly running. Mm. And the first half of the race, you have to run. It's not like a track meet, but it's, it's all, it's pretty quick, relatively California-esque runnable trail. So it's definitely like a combination race from my perspective. And it's not just, it's not a mountain race, but it ain't just a roly-poly California race either. It's both. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think where we should go with this next. Where do you want to go? Yeah. So what do you see as some of your biggest challenges to producing a consistent training block over the next four months, right? Like Salt Lake is a great place to train. There's tons of trails. Um, Some of the challenges I know in the winter are it's cold. It does snow. The trails are mostly under snow some of the time. And I know there's that inversion fog, that like smog layer that comes in and stuff. Yeah obviously there's those environmental challenges and then just your own personal, you know, sort of life challenges. Like what do you see having to confront to make this thing happen? Yeah. On the environment front, it's interesting because if I look back at all my Strava data from the five years I've lived in Salt Lake, ironically, it's been the time of year, like December to March, where I've produced a lot of my best workouts, my best long runs, my best stretches of consistent training. So from that standpoint, I'm excited in terms of chat and also one of the great things about Salt Lake is there's a whole community that runs year round. And yes, there are parts of the Wasatch that do get closed off until like May and June, but places like Mill Creek Canyon, City Creek Canyon, the Bonneville shoreline trail, Granger peak. If it does snow, even when it does snow, those trails get so packed out. You can uh, run them year round through the winter. You can get good workouts there. So environmentally, I feel like I'm in a good position. Uh, Inversion it's an issue in the years where we don't get a lot of snow. And for those that aren't familiar with inversion, it's just this pollution that gets caught between the two mountain ranges here in the Salt Lake Valley. It's bad. It's not good for your health. It's not good for your lungs. We do have ways to escape it. You can go to park city, which is the other side of the Wasatch. You can go to the Olympic oval and run that track indoors, but it just really depends on the year. And so far it hasn't been an issue. Um, challenges though, I don't think my challenges are much different from other runners in a similar position. When I look back at the last five years, it's all about where I rank the training in my hierarchy of priorities. Like if I put it number one, in my opinion, if it, it needs to be the first thing I do every day, like when I'm waking up, I drink a cup of coffee and I'm like out the door doing the run, whether it's a workout, long run, easy run. In my opinion, I've just never put running there before. I think it's been two at some points. It's been mm-hmm. three, but I've always put my psychic energy elsewhere. And I personally tend to believe that we're only capable of really giving significant effort if it's in that top two or three. So the challenge is going to be to hold it there for the duration. Cause I think any runner will tell you that 
consistently making it one of the most important things you do every day. That's the key in all the results in terms of like good workouts, good long runs, good weeks, good race results. It comes from that. The last thing I'll say is I need to make sure that my training mindset is turned on for the other like 20 to 23 hours of the day, making sure that I'm making the right food decisions, that I'm sleeping well, that I'm not like looking at my phone, like two hours before bed, and then I'm wired for another four. Yep. Uh, Cause I think in the past I've let myself off the hook after the run is done. Like I'll start to eat a lot, which is good, but it'll be like a lot of junk food or I won't do my foam rolling and hip exercises, or I'll be again, staring at my phone into the blue light after 6 yep. PM and that delays sleep. So I do want to rein that into, so I'd say it's those three things for me. Cool. No, I mean, I think, you know, talking about this now, even writing this down, this isn't something I always do, but we can add these things into the training log and just like, okay, here's you know, even just like up on the top, have the, these two or three challenges, these goals, right? This is not news to a lot of people, but there's a big difference between different types of goals, right? We might say Finn's goal is X, maybe it's top 10 at Canyon sure, Thunder, sure, right? Sure. That could be a way to talk about a goal, but it's really a goal you have almost no control over because let's say the top thousand runners in the world sign up, right? Well, that goal is no longer possible probably, yeah. right? Uh, but there's tons of stuff you can control, like not looking at your phone after a certain point, like getting your run in first thing in the morning, no matter what, like all these things that like you have almost an entire amount of control over. Those are ultimately like the goals. Like, so producing really high in training and producing really good sleep results, right? Like trying to make those things priority. Those are your goals. And the race result is just a bonus, right? To the actual goals, which we have control over. I think now that happens in the next 16 weeks, which is, uh, that's where the magic is. I'm glad you said that too, like how a lot of the like performance goals are largely out of your control in terms of like where you place in the race. Because if I could sum up my challenge, it's that on the mental front, I have consistently questioned how badly I want it. And if I really dig into the psychology of it, it's like, do I want to put in the time to reach my potential? Because if I do, then I'm on the hook for like my raw self out there on race day, giving all I have. And it could be that I finish 31st or 167th or ninth, but either way, there's no question. I put the work in and now I'm presenting myself to the world. And I think that used to bother me a bit. And so I would like back off training because I didn't want to be that vulnerable. But I think as you get older and you realize that all you can really do is reach your potential and try your best and everything else falls into place, you get more comfortable with it. But like in my mid twenties, there was a fear there, I would say. Oh, I think that a lot of people can relate to that. I would say even myself included, it's not an easy thing to get over these delusions of grandeur or whatever, these things, these stories that we tell ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and who knows? I, I don't like to limit people either. I'm not like, well, you can't do X, Y. I'm just like, that can't be your goal. Like that can't be your, uh, the thing that you're putting your energy towards. Like I've done it like where I'm like, visualize these like great scenarios happening in races. And it's a horrible waste of energy. I mean, it's good to visualize, but really it should be visualizing. How are you going to overcome adversity? How are you going to like do the things that you are uh, intending to do? Know you need to do not like in visualizing some fun scenario. That's like kind of just a pipe dream. And the funny thing is at the same time that I'm afraid of trying my best, or I have been afraid of trying my best, I'm also extremely attracted to the most competitive races where like I'm yeah. a small fish in a big pond. Yeah. Like I, I, I hate being removed from that very absolute, honest, direct feedback of like, based on what you've been doing for X, Y, Z weeks or months, 
you go to this race and this is where you're at. I've always wanted to be as close to the source of like who I am and where I stack up and stuff like that. As humans, we're complex beings. So in one corner, I'm this person in another corner. I cannot wait to like line up with people that I have no business lining up with. You know what I'm saying? We all have business lining up with everybody on there. And there's some people are going to have a, you know, a good chance to win or to podium or whatever. And some of us have much less and less and less chance, but the point is to test yourself. And I think this is getting on a small tangent, but like we haven't had, I haven't noticed at least, and maybe that's because I've been a little bit out of it, having these kids and being all busy and stuff, but we haven't had these really big, like massive races where at least on the men's side, right? Like that's what I, you know, if you're as a competitor, that's what I noticed the most, right? Like where there's like 30, 40 or 50 guys that are all pretty darn good, like a North face 50 miler from, you know, a handful of years ago, where it's like, you know, I'd be running, you'd be running six minute pace in the start of this 50 mile race and you'd be in 30th or 40th place. And with a pack, of, you know, I don't, there haven't been a ton of those races like lately. So I think this one has a real chance to pit you against just gobs of people where it's more like a cross country feel for parts you know and then of course later on you're by yourself in the woods but it's got a totally different feel and it's like yeah it's a true test like you're comparing yourself to a super deep field and there hasn't been a ton of options to do that lately that's a great point i 100 agree and even though the pandemic is still going on we're all finally coming out of the woods and congregating and there's so many races out there and the competition is always fairly diluted to all of them and this is one of those rare occasions where yeah. Like you said, the community comes together, the racing scene comes together and mm-hmm. it's just fun to be a part of it. And the race is big enough, right? Like it's not full and it's not limited. Like some, anyone who wants you could just go sign up tomorrow. So like even this podcast, like there's chances to make this thing really go. I don't know what the race is doing on that front. I'm sure the UTMB part helps, but like, I have a feeling that like by April, the field's just, you know, you're going to line up and it's going to be like, Oh wow, this is not like any race I've been to for a long time. I did a little bit of promotion for our recording and I tagged UTMB and Epic Endurance events. So nice, nice. I'll get the message, hopefully. Yeah, no, they will, they will. Um, but so for you, on, on, for you personally, you feel uh, like you're in pretty good position, right? So like McDowell Mountain Frenzy, that was your last big race. That was 50 miler down in the Phoenix suburbs. And where you're at, you ran pretty good. You know, I mean, I know you had some rough times, at least it looked to me like the last 12 to 15 miles were pretty rough, but I know it was not all bad. It was a pretty good race in some respects. Yeah. I felt really good at the end of the day. I PR'd, um, yeah, that's right. you always want to celebrate. I and 100%, 100%. yeah, I would also say that in the lead up to it, I didn't put that much time in, in terms of long runs and workouts. As you mentioned early September, I did the UTMB CCC race. Yep. And I think I just wrote a lot of fitness off of that. And then once the race concluded these last three weeks, like we're recording just before the new year, I just haven't done anything. I've done a couple easy runs here and there each week, but, um, you've been running like 40 miles a week, Yeah, 40 miles a week, but all all on the roads, all closely from home, no taxing elevation change or stuff like that. Um, you know, there's this thing I call the never ending now where we just like roll one training block into the next one race into the next. And I've tried to give myself like a true, Yep. three weeks of just like pure downtime. Cause we're going to start this partnership on what January 3rd. Yep. And by that point, it will have been like three and a half weeks since McDowell. So I think I've done more than enough to feel ready to bury myself in training. I know. And I'm excited to see this because, you know, just to give some of your listeners a backstory, cause I mean, I've known you for, I guess it's is it about five years now, huh? Is that? I gave you a call at the end of June, 2016. 
2016, man, time flies. I had just watched the Billy Yang documentary on Chamonix and saw you interviewed and gave you a call. Yeah. Isn't that something? I, uh, I didn't even have a kid yet. Like he wasn't even born yet. And now he's well into being five. I don't know. Like time, life goes really fast, but I guess what I wanted to say about you and what makes me excited to coach you. I always am excited every time, we, you know, as we've coached, I've coached you off and on for this whole time. And so when I first coached Finn, not right at the beginning, but pretty quickly, he moved to Alta, which if people don't know what Alta is, it's at the very end of this road up in the Wasatch at about 9,000 feet, give or take. And there is no good place to run. In fact, no one in their right mind would want to run when they're living at Alta in the winter. And Finn's training for GDR, no? Georgia Death Race, yeah. Georgia Death Race. And this is a tough race, 100K, lots of elevation change. And like, Finn, did you even have a car at that time? Or what was I, your... I, I didn't have a car. I was like a true ski run bum living at the, uh, the Rustler Lodge up in Alta. I thought you were going to ski a little bit more, but you got so into the training and you were like so dialed with running that he would run down the ski road and then back up and down and up and down and up. And people all up and down that road knew, but they all knew who this weirdo was. I guarantee it. They all look out their window and be like, oh my gosh, that guy again, like in this place, it snows 500 plus inches a year. And I'm sure that was no different. And yeah. so if you did you trained your ass off. It was, it was something to watch. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever witnessed as a coach just watching that winter in Alta. Uh, and I think, is there two of them or was there just one? Just one. Oh, just oh, oh, winners there two, two. So I got to beta test it in the winter of 16, 17, where we got like 800 inches of snow and then came back and it was the same song. I think I did have a car, but it was pretty much the same song and dance. I would go down to corner Canyon every weekend to get some long runs in, but yeah, it was two winners. Yeah. So I guess that's one thing that makes me really excited is when Finn puts his mind to something, right. When he's like ready to like, you say put running one, two or three in that hierarchy, which it was at those times. I know like it had sure. to be, otherwise you never would have done that. Like it's so hard. So yeah, I'm pumped for the next 16 weeks to be able to really dive in and see where we can go. Me too. I appreciate it. And in, in an effort to make this applicable to the audience, it just goes to show if you ever want to make running your thing, you can go to any length you want. You can go move to Utah in the middle of winter and still make it happen. So yeah, there's, there's no excuses to pull out all the stops. In no, fact, it can be very liberating. That's the hard part. I think as a coach, like wondering what, how hard to push people or like, you know, cause it's hard people, but there's a lot of excuses, right? Like holidays are a great example when, you know, most people, and it's like, it's fine. Like most people aren't necessarily gearing up to run something big or whatever, you know, like it's kind of a lower volume period for most people, but like excuses are easy to come by. Um, now, so this gives me a lot of food for thought, like maybe, you know, things I can change about how my coaching style or how I relate to people. Cause you know, I'm always trying to find the balance of like, you know, they, this isn't necessarily everybody's number one. It's usually somewhere down the line, right. Yeah. So they have families and jobs and those things, but, um, like you're saying, you, you can do, if you want to, there's almost always a way to do it. Yep. hundred percent. Um, so you're feeling pretty ready to gear back up and that, you know, that was one of the things I wanted to talk about, you know, we kind of have, you know, gotten into it a little bit, but like in terms of training volume, I know like you have built yourself into more and more of, a, of an ultra runner, right. Over the last handful of years. And, you know, I do notice, and I do believe that you started to thrive more and more in this, I consider it relative sweet spot for like really committed elite level runners, you know, this 10 to 15 hours of training, this is broad strokes, but it seems yeah. like you're, you positively adapt typically at, you know, depending on how long we do it for and all the other variables, but like, this is a level that you feel pretty good at training. And that's, I just wanted to touch on that because as we start to like, look at the, the bigger picture and, you know, 
where we're starting at and like where we want to go with the volume side of things, you know, like that's my vision. And, and I honestly think, you know, there's obviously runners that have been successful trying to push that, you know, that 18, 20, 20 plus hours of training a week. But I, I think it's probably more the exception than the rule and the diminishing returns. I think they usually happen around that 12 to 15 hours of training a week. I mean, what do you think for yourself and just in general? I would say it's about the same, honestly, for me, in the meat of the training cycle, I've always felt that as long as I'm getting in one to two solid workouts mm -hmm. plus a long run, no matter how I'm filling in the rest of the week in terms of easy runs and recovery runs, those are the three most important things. And everything else is mostly gravy. Yep. Um, but like you said, diminishing returns, like if I go back to like January, 2018, when we were working together and I was up, and I was up in Alta, I could run 60 miles a week. I could run nine hours a week. Yep. And yep. that actually put me in the best shape of my life because yep. I was getting those three a runs done yep. each week. Yep. I think that that is huge. Like it's easy, like doing like ultra runners are, I think are notorious, not everybody, but just in general, it's easy to go run, just to put your shoes on and go run however you feel. And like yeah, doing those sessions, those harder sessions, right? These tempo runs, these uphill intervals, there's so many different iterations that we'll get into and we can talk more about in future, you know, calls. But yeah, making, getting yourself to do those consistently. I, as long as you're doing all the other, like if you just did those, like let's say you were running six hours or four hours a week and like you just didn't run, you ran three days a week, you hit two really good workouts in the long run. It would be an experiment. I'm not saying it's impossible that it could, you know, produce something for you, but I think like you're saying, as long as those other things will take care of themselves quite, and you're going to go out and run your 60 minute recovery run. That's not hard. Typically. Right. One other thing I would say on my front is I've learned a lot over the last like three or four years, just how important it is to truly run the recovery and easy runs at a pace that sets me up to give my all in the next workout. That's not something I always used to do reliably in 17, 18, 19, but I did start to do in 20 and 21. And I do attribute a lot of readiness for the most important runs of the week to that. And I think like the Kenyans do that incredibly well. Like they're running 10, 11 minute pace alongside these like 4:30 paced tempo runs. So I think they prove that if they can do it, we can stand to run a little bit slower on our recovery days too, because yeah, I think there's two things in my experience that a lot of ultra runners do wrong. And that is they run their recovery days too fast. And then I think they just run the same pace week in and week out too much. Like they get very comfortable at some pace just above, you know, lactate threshold or whatever. And then they just run that into oblivion and volume can get you far early on in your career. But I think if you start to plateau and you see diminishing returns, it's because you're probably not injecting enough quality and then recovery on top of that quality. Well, I, I couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> I, think, I think part of like when we started trails and tarmac, when I did, you know, David and I did, we were like, I mean, not that we were like the world's greatest road runners or something, but we come from this background where it's like, yeah, like you understand these principles and it's easier to do on the roads. Cause like pace is pretty objective measure, right? Like if you're running your 10 K in five minute pace, you can't run all your easy days in six minute pace. We just know those numbers don't make sense. And so you, it was pretty straightforward to do it correctly. And like you're saying, like, uh, these super high end Kenyan athletes are really good at, at making a huge difference between their easy days and hard days. And when you're a trail runner, like uphill, any, any uphill training, it's really hard to make that difference happen. And you've gotten better and better at it. And I'm not like a heart rate fanatic. I'm like, this is the only way, but it can help just give you like, Hey, 
are you really going easy or are you kind of doing this gray zone business where you're saying pushing at this, uh, you know, not a workout level effort, you know, it's, it's maybe it's like 50 K race pace or something like this, which is hard, but it's, uh, it grinds you down. And now you can't run those good. You can't go run those true quality days. Right. So you've way better at this. I mean, I've seen it. I've watched the progression and it's something that takes most runners I work with, uh, who are motivated, right? This is a, this is a conundrum, right? People who are really motivated and driven, you know, have a hard time sometimes making those easy, hard day distinctions. And sometimes it takes a couple of years and sometimes you have to cycle back through. Cause like, you'll get, I get off yeah. track. I, I know these things. I still get off track myself sometimes. One of the strategies that I use on easy days is I set an objective for the run that's independent of my training. So I'll say to myself something like today, you need to be able to process this podcast you're listening to because you're trying to learn something new. And that allows me to run slower because I I don't really do a great job of like simultaneously running fast and losing track of my heart and stuff like that while also like listening to somebody talk. So I think that there's a lot of little hacks you can do to make sure that those days are reined in. And that's just one that I use. Yeah. That's really good. Not listening to like hardcore rock and roll music and like, so just picturing yourself like crushing people. That doesn't help. Does it listen to an NPR podcast and those sleepy voices will bring your pace down for sure. Listen, listen to some more single track podcasts. That'll help <laughs> I can tell that you're like, you're in the groove, like you're ready to like to really train the right way. And of course there's going to be challenges, but I think I'm excited to work through those and to figure out how we can help you team up with other people while still accomplishing your own goals and maybe helping other people. Like, you know, I'm sure runners that you run with sometimes they're like not always training in this harder session, easier session paradigm. Probably some of them are the grind, grind, grind mode people too. So like, you know, just getting them involved in some of your workouts, sometimes it can just light the right fire under them too, which I think, you know, it's cool to build people up. You know, we're not here to like kill each other. Yeah. And maybe we can cover this in future episodes, but it is exciting. If we go back to like who signed up for the race for Canyons hundred K there's like five or six crusher Salt Lake area runners that are signed up and I'm excited to mix it up with them in long runs and workouts where applicable, where it makes sense in our schedule. And I think it'll be fun in late January, late February, when we record again, to see how that has influenced the training and whether there's been any fitness breakthroughs because I've been able to incorporate group style running into the mix. So, yeah, I think there will be I mean, through you and my brother lives out there in Salt Lake and I know a few other people. So I kind of like have like, I don't, I'm not, I don't live in Salt Lake, but I feel like I have a good window into like some of the characters and like, so I get, I can kind of already see like, Oh, Finn's running the so-and-so and like, I kind of can see what that might mean or uh, no, I think it's going to be fun to, to see this whole training block play out. One other question, as we get towards that, uh, you know, meet of the training, you know, some early March through March and stuff, like, do you feel like doubling a couple times a week is a something that would benefit you in your life? I think it can be really helpful as opposed to grinding two hour runs every day. It's about yeah. 30, 30, 90 is a lot easier on your body, actually. I think that most people would agree. I mean, I'm not going to call myself a scientist. I don't like to try to overblow my like skill set, but I think the science would also say the longer these runs go, the more, like, certainly they're more depleting, right? They're more, the glycogen depletion is more uh, complete. And like, so yeah, uh, broken up runs can sometimes actually be easier on your body and easier to recover from than also in seven than singles, basically. I am really excited about doubles for reasons I wasn't even aware of until about a couple of weeks ago. And 
for in addition to everything you said, which I 100% agree with, I'm excited to double during this block because it will remind me of the good habits that I need to incorporate in those other 20 to 23 hours of the day. Like I need to eat well and rest and foam roll and stretch because, Hey, I have another run at five o'clock tonight. Like I'm not just like throwing in the towel because I ran 90 minutes this morning and I got nothing else until I wake up the next day. I need to stay alert and primed and ready for the next one. Even if it's a recovery run, I, I take those just as seriously, if not more seriously than any other run in the block or in the week. So I like it because it's like a disguised accountability mechanism to be ready. You know, I've never thought of this, like the, what you just said, which is funny because I feel like I've thought about like so many different things over the last whatever two decades. And it's an unbelievably true statement you just made. And I can think back to like times in my career when I was doubling a lot. Like, I mean, in college, our coach, we would double five days a week. That was just what you did. Like, you'd run and the main run was in the afternoon, but every morning, every weekday morning, you get up at six and run 30 minutes or whatever, 35 minutes. It wasn't like a question. You just did it. And I think you're hundred percent right. Even though you did tons of other stuff, you went to classes, like it wasn't like you just ran, you might only have run, you know, an hour and a half to two hours every day, but running was like, that was your focus. Yeah. You were always in that mode, like you're saying. And I think it does, it probably makes a huge difference. And it's really just a matter of making that commitment to be like, yeah, we're going to double Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or we're going to double Tuesday, Thursday. And like, I think that's something that is I don't think doubling five, five days a week is too much because we're going to do some stuff that's just too big and too hard. You're not going to double on every, you know, all those days we go do like four by 15 minute hill repeats or like really tough stuff. Um, anyways, but I'm psyched that you're up for it. I think a lot of people are independently motivated. Like they would, like what I said might not resonate with them, but if you're someone like me who, yes, you love running, but you need accountability mechanisms and everything is interconnected in your life. I think it's something to consider. Some people are like, well, it's so easy for me to stretch and foam roll and stuff like that because I actually, that's like my favorite part of the day. Or, you know, I'm a cook. And so I'm always preparing like stuff that makes me ready at a moment's notice. Um, this is just an, a neat little hack if you're not that type of person and I'm not. So, yeah. And I think it's, uh, I think the physiology plays out too. I mean, I think it's, I think it's the right thing to do to, oh, wow. I'm sure it's going really loud. Can you hear that? Yeah. It's fine. Okay. Uh, when you're not at your own house, this is how it goes. <laughs> what can listeners expect in future episodes? Like, what do you think is going to be important to cover from a mental training standpoint, a physical training standpoint, et cetera? What do you think is valuable? I mean, I think a lot of it will be borne out in like the, what actually happens. I think that people should follow you on Strava because unless something changes, like you can see what Finn is doing. You can see what, like, Hey, what, what, you know, probably, you know, what was prescribed, what happened. And yeah, you know, you'll get, people will get some insight, you know, in that way, which I think is fun. People can follow along and, you know, we're certainly going to talk about some of the specifics, right? Like how some of the different kinds of workouts went, some of the challenges we faced, some of the progress, you know, some of it'll be objective progress, right? Hopefully we'll see, okay, you know, this is, we did this on this flat workout, you know, and then like five weeks later, you know, we're not going to do a ton of flat workouts. We're not going to do none. Like this is a trails and tarmac way. And I think it's important that, we, even if we're running a 15,000 foot climbing hundred K, like you gotta be a good runner too. Like it's like, you can't just be like, well, I'm just going to climb and descend. And I think many of the best people do both. Like you, you mix and match or, you know, you mix it up quite a bit. So we'll have some good ways to like, look at some objective things that have happened in terms of like actual training data. So, I mean, I'll be excited to get into that and, uh, you know, Finn will be on the hot seat. We'll look at it. We're going to be looking at what you actually 
did, which will be fun. hundred percent. And I would also just say, I want to make sure that I'm doing coach Gelfie, right? So if you do follow my Strava, I promise I will do the prescribed work. If for some random reason I go rogue or I join a group run that I wasn't supposed to, I will for sure initial it somehow in the title. Like this was not approved by trails and tarmac. So we're not throwing you under the bus. And what I think is interesting, and I've learned this a lot as a coach over the last six plus years is that I'm not, I'm, you know, I write training, like I write here now, here's what we should be doing and how to do it. But like, I know that like, A, it's not perfect and B, like we're going to change it and we're going to adapt things. And like, you're going to be like, Hey, you know, someone doing this workout, like you're going to text me and I'm gonna be like, yeah, like, let's change that. And let's do this. We communicate quite a bit, right? Like, and, and, and if people don't know how I operate, like we use training logs that are based on like Google sheets because they're the most adaptable in my opinion. I don't, they're not, sorry, they're not training peaks, Google sheets. I don't use these other apps because they're just much harder to like write super custom training. Like, Hey, let's go do grandeur, da, 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 da. And let's do the first half of this segment at this level. And, you know, like we can write workouts, like however you want, when you write in Google sheets, you just write longhand. And that's what I do. Like I don't copy and paste it. And I don't, um, I mean, yeah, I write it freehand. Uh, you know, we yeah. kind of block it out. And, but I guess where I'm going with that is that we communicate back and forth in these training logs quite a lot, especially now, like, you know, like Finn will add a comment, I'll see it and I'll write back. So we're, you know, the training might've been written like X and like, there will be things that change, but Finn's really dedicated at this, at, you know, to this training block, I can tell, you know, it's going to be a really good, you know, it's mostly going to go just like clockwork and then to team up with other people. I think that's where the big changes are coming on. I think that I believe there's merit to it. So I think that's where our challenges will be to weave that needle and keep you on track, not let you just go, oh, I'm just going to run with other people most days and do whatever they're going to do. And then that's just where you're going to turn into like, this is just running now. Like it's not the focus of training anyway. So that'll be our challenge. This is a new idea that we haven't discussed yet. So for those <laughs> listening, this is me just spitballing in real time, but maybe we make the training log viewable to anybody that wants so they can see on the day-to-day exactly how we're operating. I thought about this. I hadn't, I actually thought about the exact same thing. And I was like, huh, I don't know if it's a good idea yet. We should, I think we should maybe do it. Okay. I don't know. I mean, are you, obviously you're willing to do it. I, I think that transparency is interesting and like, we're doing something that hasn't been done before. We're first movers. We can do whatever we want. Also, what I, if we do it, and I think we probably will, because we both Finn and I were similar. We like to shake things up and oh, yeah. do things like, oh, you're not supposed to just have your training log be live. Because <laughs> it's literally live. Like if people are on there, like I'll be typing something and you'll literally watch me and you're like, oh, Ryan's typing in that cell. And then when I hit enter, it'll pop up. <laughs> and sometimes it'll, I'll be in my training logs and I'm like, oh, my runner's typing something. And I'll be like, I'm going to, I'll put that aside. I'm not going to like, it feels weird. It's like you're watching someone type it out. I don't know. It's hilarious kind of paradigm. But yeah, if we make it live, people will be able to watch. We could check in on it every day and it's probably something will have changed on the training log, whether there was training or training log comments. There's a lot of comments. We go back and forth a lot. The one way they, they won't be able to see the comments, the way I do it now is I like insert comments. Okay. I don't know. We'll have to, we'll figure this out. Figure it out, uh, but it could be, it could be interesting. I think it's a good idea. I'm probably up for it, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll correspond and then decide and, uh, I'm sure you have ways to share with the listeners how they can find it. Cool. Well, Hey, I'm stoked about this first episode. I think we set the table well for just like what our relationship looks like and how you like to check in with athletes to see how they're feeling ahead of a block, ahead of a big objective. And I think, as you said, as these episodes progress, we'll be able to talk more about what the experience has been like on a day-to-day month-to-month basis. And 
if you're a listener, I hope that you picked up a fair bit of wisdom in this one from Coach Gelfie and maybe some sympathizing with my plight over the last five years and why I am coming back with open arms to Coach Gelfie here for the Canyons block. Because I honestly, I've, I've really enjoyed working with you over the past couple of years. I think that what you've built with Trails and Tarmac is incredible. It's a huge service to the community and we're lucky to have your mind. So it's cool that we get to publicize it here on a podcast. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. And the people have questions they want us to hit on the next episode. I'm not saying we necessarily hit them, but I'm sure. I know you ask your listeners about things they're wondering about. So I'm sure. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. For next episode. Now they've listened to this one or whatever. Uh, I'm sure they'll be like, oh, I wonder what about X, Y, Z. I'm not going to say we'll get into all of it, but I think it's interesting to know what people are interested in. Cause I, I don't know. I don't know what people want to know. Cool. Yeah. I think we have two things to discuss offline now. Do we open source some of the questions and do we make the training log public? Cause I think Kipchoge or at one point in time publicized his workout or his coach did. So I don't know. I think he publicized parts. I mean, some, I know there's been training groups who have been like super like, well, think like Hoka NAZ, right? Like they're on Strava. Like they write, they publish their stuff. I don't know if they publish like their vlog. That's the interesting part. Like publishing like the training piece, like here's what we did and like seeing it on Strava. But the difference is like that written, the back and forth, like that dynamic. The diary. The diary. Yeah. It's totally, it's a diary. It's a journal. It's, and you know how I am. Like I don't just write back good. You know, we write back, you know. No, I know. You, you don't uh, just say, hey, you're amazing. Good job next time. <laughs> No, luckily I type pretty fast and I don't go crazy on editing. So like, I'm not, I'm not just like, oh, this is going to like, I need to sit here and write this. Like, I'm going to be like writing, like I'm talking to you, but I'm going to type it because that makes sense to do it this way. Oh yeah. Um, we're, we, we are. And for listeners, if we do open up this training log, we are not being judged on grammar and uh, sentence no, fragments and stuff like that. That's not the point. The point isn't like, this isn't like a high school essay. This is just like us talking back and forth in a way that we can both access it. And, you know, anyways. Yeah. Well, let's, let's just, we'll, I think we should just, yeah, let's make it live. Just do okay. it. Okay. Thank cool. you, dude. We'll do a laugh. <laughs> I, uh, I'm gonna. It's gonna be funny because when you're on a Google sheet, there's like anonymous panda, anonymous draft. Like that's how you can see if people are on there. And sometimes, like I forget, but like sometimes I'll be on some Google sheet where it's like something for a bunch of people, and you'll see 20 anonymous animals on the dog. It'll be funny if we're on there. I'm like, hey, there's six anonymous animals in the training log right now. <laughs> it'll be a, it'll be a good proxy for how popular these episodes are. How many people are coming into the training log? Yeah, I, it will be. It will be. I'm sure it won't be like it'll be too many yet. But <laughs> I know the single track is crushing it though. So, uh, anyways, well. You're ready to go. You're, you're the train. You've looked, I'm sure you've looked at the training I've got going so far. Does it yep. seem doable? I know it's some, I know there's some flat workouts on there. I know you guys got snow to deal with. So you know how it goes. Like if it's too slow, footing isn't that good. Just the paces just have to slow, right? Yeah. Like you yeah. might not hit 540. You might, it might be 20 seconds slower. Down. I don't know. It just depends. But I have, I can, I have a bunch of runners in bed. And so this is like a conversation I keep having. It's like, well, all right, you know, I think we should, if less is you're going to fall, like if you can't do the run, cause it's, but you're, you're fine. Like you can run on snow. I'm fine. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So like, if it's like slower footing, then you just kind of have to snow GAP it, right. You snow AP it, snow adjusted pace. I asked Mark Ganey at Strava in a recent episode, if they would ever incorporate altitude adjusted pace as well. He says, uh, he'll get yeah. back to me. Apparently only 6% of Strava users live at elevation. So yeah, but everybody goes to elevation and every time they go run, I don't know. I'm sure he's right. I'm sure most of their users don't give a rat, but they want to hit that bleeding edge, right? Like if you're Strava, it's not all about, it's partially about building for your mass audience, but it's also about placating your, you know, your top 1% or whatever. It's, to say, but it's like, you want to build those products for your like 
hot your elite level folks because that keeps them on there this is the perfect place to put a pin in it let's leave the audience here on a cliff we'll see you again in february all right thanks a lot man Hey, thanks for listening. I just have the same usual requests. Please consider giving us a review in Apple, a rating in Spotify, and share us on social, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you spend the most time. I know I say it all the time, but yes, it truly does help more folks discover the show. So thank you. As always, I am your host, Finn Melanson. I am grateful for your support, and I will talk to you on the next episode.